Thank you, Lord. Well, uh, it's a privilege to start this series called Legacy, and uh, the title of my message this morning is Heirs of the Same Promise. Heirs of the Same Promise, and I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews and chapter 11. We're going we're gonna to sort of jump around one of you know, a few verses, but we're staying on one central theme this morning, and that is the promise. Stewarding the promise that we're the heirs of together. And, uh, oh, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody. We had such a wonderful time, and what a, you know, Kate and I have we're new Americans. We became American citizens in 2015, and we're so thankful to the Lord for this amazing nation that we get to be citizens of with all y'all. Thank you for having us. Um, and I just love Thanksgiving. It, it, it's just, we never had that in our countries growing up. Um, but wow, I think the whole world would do well to have Thanksgiving and celebrate Thanksgiving. Phenomenal. It's excellent. All right. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. I want you to know, everybody, that we are receiving an inheritance. You have an inheritance that you have received and are going to receive in all of its fullness. Abraham was called by God to go to a foreign land where he would receive an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Inheritance. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith... He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living or dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Abraham dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the second and third generation and they were heirs together of the same promise. You could say that it got very intense. It's called grandfather jokes. We do have three grandchildren and one on the way, so yeah. Come out with the odd grandpa joke like that. Father, we thank you so much that we are heirs together of the same promise. We thank you for that promise that is the promise that you gave Abraham thousands of years ago that you fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that you have given us to steward to bless the world with. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our understanding more fully to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and to understand the stewardship of this great promise that you've given to us. And this reality of who you are in us and among us. And we ask that we would be a blessing all of our lives. That we'd lead lives that are pleasing to Jesus and worthy of Jesus. 
not just individually, but together as a church, that we would take our place in this great legacy, this story of yours, this his story that belongs to you, that's your story. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was reading a couple of years ago through, as I was reading my Bible through in the year, I want to encourage each of you to read your Bibles, take a disciplined approach because spontaneity is the reward of discipline, as someone once said. And it just really jumped in my heart. And as we discipline ourselves to the reading of the scriptures, Jesus, the the one who is the word of God himself reveals himself more and more to us. It's not the means of our salvation, but because of our salvation, it's the means of our greater understanding and our greater fellowship and our walking with him. And as I was walking with him through the scriptures, this scripture leapt out at me. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living or dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There was something so amazing that Abraham was carrying, that he was stewarding, that was a promise given to him by God that was so good that Isaac wanted to dwell with him in the same tent. You know, there's something about our, our lives and the way that, that we are so often as we're growing up, particularly when we get into our teenage years and into our early 20s, we just want to break out from our mom and dad and our, our family's whole way and want to just get out there and cut a path and you know, just demonstrate what awesomeness has arrived on planet Earth through us in doing our own thing. And... And yet here's Isaac, and he's so captivated by his father and captivated by what his father's carrying that he says, I'm going to dwell with you. I want to carry what you're carrying, Dad. I'm absolutely right in this canopy with you. And he did such a, a good job of stewarding what his father was stewarding that when he had his sons, he was able to impart that into Jacob. And Jacob carried that same promise and he too was willing to dwell with his father and his grandfather in that promise. Sadly, Esau, on the other hand, wanted nothing to do with the promise. Quite happy to trade the promise, his birthright, as the eldest son, quite happy to trade that promise from God for a bowl of soup. It wasn't even turkey soup. It was lentil soup. Ridiculous. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they dwelt together in tents. They dwelt together in this canopy of the promise. And I've been, I, I just began to think about it and, and just began to dwell on it. And I've been dwelling on it for months and months. It's been stewing in my spirit. The promise, this promise, what is this promise that was so good that they were dwelling together in that intensity of their household and the promises of God together that they were stewarding together? This desire for this future city. Was it the city? What was it? What is this promise? Is it the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. What is this promise? 
that they were so passionate about that they were willing to steward it together. And, uh, and I began to start to see something amazing. And uh, before I go on to that, uh, begin to start to unwrap this, this promise, I want you to just turn with me quickly just one page or two in your Bible. In Hebrews 12, verse 28, we'll go just a little bit further back. Um, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us give thanks that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And everything in this world is going to be shaken, everybody. Everything is going to be shaken. There is nothing in this world that's been created that will not be shaken. The only thing that will not be shaken is that which is uncreated. God himself, the king and his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, sorry, excuse me, the book of Galatians. I'm sorry, the book of Galatians. Uh, there's a very similar par parallel passage in Romans. But I want you to turn to this one in Galatians chapter 3. I was reading not long ago, actually, this year. And as I was in my journey of walking with God through the Scriptures this year, I got to this verse. Galatians 3 verse 7. It's a famous passage of Scripture in my heart in which the context is the Apostle Paul confronting a new teaching, which was an old teaching, that had crept into the new covenant, the new church, which was this. Uh, unless you've been circumcised, Gentiles, uh, just like all of the, the people of Israel, all of the men of Israel have to be circumcised because of the old covenant. If you haven't been circumcised, you're not part of Christ. And Paul's coming along and saying, no, that's not right. That's absolutely not right. Because Israel under the old covenant, never entered into God's rest, never fully entered into salvation. Why? Because the purpose of the old covenant was not to bring them salvation. The purpose of the old covenant was to lead them to salvation himself, their Messiah. It was to help them to realize that no religion, no effort of man, no, no, no ability whatsoever to set out in the will and the emotions and the effort of the body, soul, and even spirit to be perfect in the eyes of God, can ever, ever be accomplished. The only means of salvation is that God gives you the gift of salvation, the gift of himself, because he is eternal life, and it is just by your faith in believing that you received it. So do not go back to thinking that it's out of the old 
ways of the old law that Jesus fulfilled that you're saved. Don't do it, Galatians. You didn't receive the Spirit of God because you were obedient to the old covenant. You received the Spirit of God among you. God supplied His Spirit. He worked miracles among you. He did it all because of faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus is what brought the Spirit. That's the context. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Know then it is those of faith who are the heirs of the promise, who are dwelling in the same tents as Abraham. What is a tent? A tent is a dwelling place that you are in for a period of time, a temporary place. Why? Because you're on your way to a place that is absolutely eternal. And we're going to see in a minute what that tent is. Know then that it is of those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And I just read recently in Isaiah, where God, speaking of Abraham, says, Abraham, my friend. He's the only one in the entire scriptures, apart from when Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends, I call you friends. But up until that point in the entire scripture, God does say that he speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But that's not quite the same as God saying to Israel, Abraham, my friend. Can you imagine this Intimacy between Abraham and God was so intense that Abraham so touched the heart of God that God said, I like and love you so much. You're exactly what I'm longing for and I'm going to make you, you, the, the one who is my friend. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore because I like you so much. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a people that will be my friends. I'm not looking for a people that will stand afar off and go, oh, there's a consuming fire over there. Oh my gosh, I'm going to bury my head in the sand. I'm going to run away. I'm going to run in shame. I'm going to hide my nakedness. I'm looking for a people that understand. I want to eat with them. I want to live with them. I want to dwell with them. I want to be their friend. And what do friends do? Friends share their secrets with one another. That's what friendship is. It's built on trust. And uh, there's something about this particular passage of Scripture that somehow... All the years that I've been reading it, I was so caught up in the law versus the spirit that I missed something that has been revealed to me recently. And it's this. God would, that God would, this, sorry, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, 
justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now just think about this for just a moment, everybody. Think about when you hear the words, so-and-so preached the gospel, who do you think of? I know who I think of. I think of a North Carolinian man. I think of a man who grew up in North Carolina. I think of a man who got saved. I think of a man who went on Billy Graham to become one of the greatest preachers of the gospel that the world has ever witnessed. And as a 17-year-old boy at boarding school in England, I was... I, was, I jumped into a, a bus, into a coach, as we say in England, and was taken 30 miles to Bristol because I signed up to go to a Billy Graham crusade. And there I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think about the evangelical message that I grew up with that Billy Graham preached and that so many great preachers have preached. And it is the gospel, but it's not the fullness of the gospel in this way. For example, the gospel, when I hear the word preach the gospel, I think of a preacher preaching, a, a man or a woman, preaching that Jesus, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son into this world and that his son died on the cross for all of our sins, something we couldn't do for ourselves, and he paid the debt for us and he shed his perfect blood to cover all of our sins and presented that perfect atoning blood to God the Father by the eternal spirit according to Hebrews verse 9 so that the wrath of God was fully satisfied, the justice of God was satisfied when mercy kissed justice at the cross, when the love of God himself incarnate in Jesus gave his life for us at the cross, so that whoever believes in Jesus is a recipient of eternal life, according to John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible that we associate with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, to summarize, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that if you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and that he was buried and rose again from the dead three days later, you are born again, and because you're born again, you get to go to heaven and avoid hell. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That when you hear gospel, that's what you think of. And you know what? All of that is true. But right here, Paul says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. And there's no mention of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, or rising from the dead. Why? Because that's implicit because the whole purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and rising from the dead and ascending into the heavens and being sat with the Father is not just so that we have eternal life as a gift from God, which he's given to us, but it's not just for that. It's actually the blessing that God has given us in order to bless the entire nations of the world. The gospel is that in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. It says it right here. 
And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And of course, while he's speaking in you to Abraham, Paul tells us in other verses that he's speaking to the seed that's in Abraham, that is Jesus, that would ultimately come from Abraham's loins, would come from his blood lineage, would be the savior of the world, would be the Messiah of the Jews, and that Jesus would accomplish the fullness of the blessing that God intended for all of humanity. That's the gospel. But it's so easy for us to forget with our, with our mind of what we think of as the gospel. It's me going to heaven, me avoiding hell, me being born again, me, myself, and I in that little trinity that just keeps popping up, that we forget that the real gospel of salvation is you're saved to be a blessing to all the families of the world. You know that person who cuts you up on the freeway, on the 40, or the 540, or the 440? That person who cuts you up, that person, you've been saved so that you can save them. And there you are flipping the birdie at them. Or maybe you're not. Hopefully, you're like me and you just don't do that. But you'd be surprised how many Christians do do that. And we're missing the whole point. Our salvation is for us, but it's also for the salvation of the whole world through us. That's the whole point. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. I'm excited. All right, so then we read down verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through them. Up till this point, Paul's saying that the Jews, the ancient Israelites, the first apostles, all of them in Jerusalem, they thought that everything that Jesus did, which they had a full revelation of, his life, his incarnation, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, was all so that they could receive the Spirit, and it was all for them, the Jewish nation. And it wasn't until God made, God allowed Peter to have an encounter with God himself, and he has this sheet lowered down three times, and he ends up uh, being led by the Holy Spirit to go with three men, to go to Cornelius' house, and while he's standing there in a Roman centurion's house, not just a Gentile, but the absolute enemies of ancient Israel. The occupiers, the worst enemies of Israel. The ones that a good number of the 12 apostles were determined three years earlier to follow Jesus so that they could get rid of the Romans and get Israel back as a nation. And here is God leading Peter to a centurion's house to deliver the gospel. What's the gospel? That in all of you, through me, you're all going to be blessed. Through Christ in me, you're going to have Christ in you. And the same spirit that I received because of Jesus in me, you're going to receive him too. And while he's speaking, kaboom, 
the Holy Spirit comes and backs up everything that he's saying with an absolute glorious Pentecost experience for a bunch of Roman soldiers. They're like, what? A bunch of Republicans got saved. A bunch of Democrats got saved. A bunch of anti-vaxxers got saved. A bunch of vaxxers got saved. Fact of the matter is, God's not interested in our opinions. The last people we think of, God thought of them before time began and loved them. Mm. But I want you to look at the promise so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Aha, wow. Okay, so the promise is not just that the nations will be blessed through me, but the blessing is actually being in Christ. So this tent that we're all dwelling under, where we're heirs together of this same promise, this tent is Jesus. We're actually dwelling in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. Paul goes on to say, we are clothed with Christ. And because we're clothed with Christ and we're heirs together of the same promise, who Christ has, we now have. He's called the Holy Spirit. Wow. So that's the blessing. God himself. Not just his son, but his spirit. Wow. Oh my gosh, it's just getting better and better. And verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to him by, to Abraham by a promise. Woo! Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. Not through reading the Bible, not through prayer, not through giving, not through, not through going to church, not through churchianity at all. You've all become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're an heir, a co-heir of the same promise. A custodian, a guardian of all that God treasures. And he goes on, and if you are Christ's, then you, verse 29, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now fasten your seatbelts because it gets even better. He goes, you know, we were under the law and even though we were an heir, we didn't realize that we were an heir because we, were, uh, we, we had been given this guardian, the law that was to just train us for a season in the way. But there comes a day when the fullness of time came. Verse 4, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Greek word right there, adoption, means to be placed properly, figuratively, and literally into a horizontal position of rest. 
You've been adopted as a son. You are now at rest. It's not about what you do. An orphan has no father. So an orphan has to do everything. Fend for themselves. Make their own money. Make their own way in life. Get their own wife. Get their own husband. Get this. Get that. Get the other. Gimme, 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 gimme. I'm a little orphan, 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 orphan. It's all about me, myself, and I. And even in my approach to God, it's all about what I can get from God, how much of his treasure I can get, how much of his blessings I can get. It's all for me. Why? Because I'm an orphan. But when we become sons of God, now all of a sudden we're placed in this horizontal position of rest. And when you're in a horizontal position of rest, you're in the perfect place for God to use you. Because actually God doesn't need you. He just likes you. And he wants to do things that you can't do, like open blind eyes and, 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 and help paralyze people to leap out of wheelchairs. And, you know, one of our, one of, one of our uh, octogenarians just this morning was so beyond excited. She just was so excited. She's just coming out of her skin because she just literally got healed in a moment. She thought she was dying. She phoned up Erica Jackson. Erica told her, You've got Christ in you. Start to speak to your body. You've got treasure on the inside. You're stewarding this legacy that is Christ in you. And so she began to start to speak to her body, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, kaboom, all of the symptoms, her body was literally shutting down. She was thinking, I'm going to die. It all just came ripping off of her. And not only did it all come off of her, she got so filled with the Holy Spirit, she is an unstoppable force of excitement right now. An octogenarian! For those of you who don't know what that means, it means over 50. And because you are sons, God has sent the very spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And so you're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir of God or an heir through God. What an amazing reality, everybody. This gospel, this promise that through you, all the families of the world, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. That same in you that was spoken of, of Jesus in Abraham is now spoken of you in Christ Jesus in Abraham. Oof. All the blessings of God now belong to you. And I, I mean, I just don't, we, we could just spend all day unpacking that but Ephesians 1 verse 13 says that we were sealed in Christ Jesus with the Holy Spirit who was promised, or the Holy Spirit of promise. Luke 24 verse 49, just before Jesus went up into the heavens, he tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, and then you'll be my witnesses. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. What is this promise that we are heirs together with? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit because we're in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of the Son. So what does that mean? It means we're daddy's kids. So what does that mean? It means that God is not afar off, even though he's an all-consuming fire and he could smoke you in a split second. He's daddy. He's your dad. He's your dad. He's your dad. 
He's your daddy. Oof. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew, famous passage of Scripture, Matthew 28. Jesus is about to go up into heaven. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, let's get the context. Jesus has accomplished the gospel. It's done. He is saying this with extraordinary joy. He's saying, guys, he's full of joy. Guys, Satan's head is crushed now. All the enemies of God, done. No principality, power, ruler, or authority, nothing in the dark world can oppose you because all, of author all authority belongs to me now. I've defeated them all and I'm in you now. I'm in you, you're in me. And because of that, now go. Go, yes, because now you're so blessed. You have the maximum level of blessing that's possible as a human being. And with that maximum blessing, now go and take that blessing to all the families of the world, all the nations, all the people that you don't like. Go take that blessing to them and love them profoundly. And by the way, immerse them immerse them, baptize them. He wasn't giving them a formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, in nomine Padre, et filius, Espiritu Santo. No offense to anybody, but that's not what and that is. I'm sure that's right and good to do, but that's not what Jesus is talking about right here. He's not giving pastors and ministers and priests a formula for what to say at the time of baptism. He's giving every believer instructions of, you're going to make followers of mine if you go and immerse them into their full identity in me as the Son of God, which brings them into the full identity of them in the Father because he's their daddy. And by the way, the witness of all of that is the sweet friendship and fellowship and presence of the Holy Spirit. If you take any human being and you immerse them into those three identities, you're going to make followers of mine. You will multiply yourself. And by the way, I'm with you forever. I'll do it through you. So now... I say all of that so that you can understand Matthew 25. Let's read it together. Matthew 25, verse 14. I want you to remember, we're heirs together of the same promise. We're dwelling in this canopy of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. This is the family of God, the expression of the family of God that God has called you to if you're called to catch the fire. If you know, like me, that you're called to catch the fire, this is the expression of the canopy that God has given, I'm speaking for myself, given to me to steward the promise of this great blessing that we call salvation, that is salvation, that is the blessing for all the families of the earth. This is the canopy in which I dwell. This is the place where our legacy together is formed. This is the place when Kate and I came and planted 
this church in our living room from Toronto. We moved from that canopy. We moved here. Same canopy in the big picture, but we moved from here, start, from there to here, started this church in our living room. With our children, because we decide, God told us, 14, 12, and 11, God told us, you're a family on mission together. Do it as family, because lasting revival is only a revival that goes to multiple generations. And so we dwelt in the canopy with our three children. We taught them the same blessing. We taught them the blessing of the gospel. We taught them the blessing of your salvation. But it's not for you, it's for the world. Praise God, they grew up. Now they're married to really handsome men and they chose men that understand that they're blessed to be a blessing. And now as family, Together, multiple generation, they are now raising our eldest, Jess, and her husband, Aaron. They have three astonishing kids. I know I'm biased. I'm their grandfather. But their children are astonishing. And they're teaching their children the blessing of God that's in Christ Jesus for each of them. But it's not just for you. It's for the world. Jude, Zoe. Sailor, you're in Christ Jesus, and Jesus is in you. And because of that, you are phenomenal good news. You carry phenomenal good news for the nations of the world. God wants to bless the nations of the world through you. We're all dwelling, and we're, and Kate and I ourselves, we're dwelling in the canopy of my mother and father who are sitting just right there, one, two, three, four, five rows back, sitting there quietly gave their whole lives to missions. The mission that they worked for. My father was one of the very first people to hand over and replace his position, which was one of the top positions in the, in the movement, in the mission that was over 100 years old. A foreign mission over 100 years old. And my father chose an indigenous person for the first time to replace him in his senior position. And not only my dad, but that generation replaced themselves with the indigenous people of Nigeria, who they, who had grown up in this heirs of the same promise. And you know what? Now there's only, there's over five million members of that church. Yeah, I give honor where honor's due. Thank you, mom and dad, that you've welcomed me in the tent of that blessing in Christ Jesus and stewarded something that was so good, I was happy to dwell in your tents and I'm still in your tents. I made a decision that I'm just going to uh, read just the salient points. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each according to his ability. And we don't know if that meant according to the man who gave his ability to give or whether that means that he gave according to the abilities of the one who received. Scripture doesn't tell us, but both could be true. And then he went away. The one who had five talents went at once and traded them and he made five more. The other one who had two 
traded them and got two more. The one who received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants came and he asked, oh sorry, he came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who received two came and had exactly the same conversation and was told exactly the same wonderful words. He also, who had received, verse 24, the one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground, here or there. Take what is yours. He didn't even bring it. Left it buried. But his master answered him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? It's a question. It's that man's perception. It's not the truth. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. And in Luke's version of the same story, Luke 19, they all say, but master, he's already got 10. Why do you want to give him another? Because we think worldly. But God doesn't think worldly. God thinks investment. And God found the one who had five, who made five more and brought it to Jesus. He found him worthy of having 11. For everyone who has will be given. More will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can see right here from that, that Jesus is not talking right now about salvation in the sense of each of their salvation. What he's talking about is an understanding of stewardship and legacy that everything that we do, everything that we do, we're invited to do it unto Jesus. You see, when we begin to understand that everything in this world belongs to Jesus, that there's absolutely nothing that has been made, that, that exists, that doesn't already belong to Jesus, he owns it all. He owns every single cent and every dime and every dollar in your bank account. He already owns it. And when you're gone, he'll still own it. And when your children are gone, he'll still own it. He owns all the treasure, all the gold, all the silver, all the mine gold, all the silver gold, and all the gold and silver that's still in the ground, all the diamonds, everything, he owns it all. All the Bitcoin, mined or unmined, he still owns it. He even owns Shiba Inu. That was a joke for those of you who know about those things. He owns everything, everybody. 
He's, he owns the airplanes. He owns the ships. He owns the buildings. He owns, he owns your husband. He owns your wife. He owns your kids. He owns the very ground that you're walking on. He already owned the ground that the man buried the treasure in. He owned that ground. What he cared about was the fact that that man took treasure and buried it. You know why? Because that treasure was a talent, a measure of gold. And on every Roman coin that made up a talent was a face of the king, the emperor, Caesar, on that coin. And so Jesus is saying in the same parallel, in the kingdom of heaven, I'm giving to each one of you I'm giving you the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom. I'm giving you what I treasure, and my face is on it. And I'm, asked, I'm looking to see if you will take my treasure, the gospel of the kingdom, and you will take that treasure and invest and exchange my face that's on that treasure, my face that's on the gospel, my face that's on the promise, my face that is the guarantee of eternal life, my face that the Spirit is the deposit in you guaranteeing what's to come, my face, will you take my face into the world and exchange my face on the treasure of the gospel that you carry for the, my face on the face of every human being that you win to me? That's what I'm looking for. And what I never, ever, 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 ever want you to do is take my face and bury it in the world. Don't you dare take my face and bury it in the ground. That's what he's saying, everybody. Let's stand. Where are you investing your treasure? Where are you investing the promise? Where are you investing your salvation? Are you keeping it to yourself? Are you in, this, in a meeting like this and your hands are in the air, but then when you get to work tomorrow, you're like, ooh, closet Christian now, better keep it zipped up right now because, woo, it's not PC to talk about Jesus. Let me tell you something. There is nothing in this world that can hinder you talking about Jesus because he already owns it all. Stop looking at the world and look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you see into his eyes, you see into his face, you see his goodness, you see his true heart, that he's not a hard taskmaster that's hard to please. He's not at all like the gods of the religious. He's a glorious, loving, beautiful bridegroom, father, brother, best friend. And when you tell your friends about the real Jesus, you will have a value exchange of the gospel coming out of your lips, of the eyes of Jesus radiating through your eyes, his eyes of fire, into their face. And you will lead them to Jesus and bring them home to Jesus. And there'll be a value exchange. You will give back to Jesus who belongs to Jesus. I want you to notice as we close, the difference between the first two and the third is that the first two they never said to Jesus, I went out, I got twice as many, now take what belongs to you. They just simply said, you gave me five, 
I got five more. Here, I got five more. No mention, it's yours, take it. The third, there's no mention that it was ever his. It's the opposite. It's all yours. I buried it because you, 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 you. There's something about when we understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we understand God is so good, he wants you to co-own the world with him. He wants you to be a co-owner of the gospel, a co-owner of all of heaven's treasure, a co-owner of the entire universe, because that's your inheritance. That's what he wants to give you. He says you're going to inherit the whole world. That new city that's coming, yeah, he wants you to take co-ownership of it. This church family, he wants you to take co-ownership of it. The legacy that you have, the stewardship of the ministry of God in you, yes, it's his ministry, but he absolutely delights in doing it through you. It's a co-ownership. And when we have that posture of heart, Jesus is so pleased with us. He doesn't sit there and go, Oi, it's all mine. He goes, No, I, re- I see someone that understands my heart is to co-labor, co-inherit, co-own everything with because they know I'm that good and that lovely and that kind and that generous. That's the whole point of why I gave my life to them. This is the gospel, everybody. When we say, oh no, it's all Jesus's. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to do my work. I'm going to do my business, invest, get my hundred million. I don't need a ministry. I'm just going to go to church, sit there, warm the pew up, greet the pastor. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. It's my wife who really likes the church, but hey, you know, I just come. That's not legacy. That's not going to leave an eternal legacy. There might be a legacy on the earth, but all of earth's going to be shaken. A legacy that's eternal is one of co-ownership. I'm all in. I've died. I'm alive with Christ. I'm a co-owner. I'm a co-laborer. I give my all. I give my all to the body. I give my all to the world because I've given my all to Jesus. I'm going to serve, serve, serve. I'm not going to bury, bury, bury. Amen.